0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to have you here. Um, If you're new here today, um, my name is Mick Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway Church, and you are in the adult Bible class. And this spring and summer, we are looking at uh, one of the letters that John uh, wrote, 1 John. And we're kind of just tracking through with this pastor. Uh, how we stay true to our commitment to Jesus Christ in a world that sometimes challenges that commitment. And so uh, we're glad to have you here. And uh, just a couple of comments. Um, We are in the kind of slipping into the summer mode. And so the next two Sundays, next Sunday is... Okay. uh, I hope you have bought a card, a gift for, you know, the favorite dessert for Dad just to give him a little bit of encouragement. But in this hour, in this area, we are going to be doing kind of a special Father's Day uh, uh, fellowship and brunch. So that's what's happening next Sunday during this hour. So come, be a part of that. And then two weeks from today, of course, is our monthly communion service upstairs. And so uh, we have communion. And then we'll pick up um, where we left off in 1 John the first Sunday of July. So that's just to kind of keep you included, let you know what's going on. Uh, By the way, if you haven't uh, done so already, don't forget to come and check out our special Alpha Film Premiere this Wednesday. We're kind of making it a little bit of a party and if you're kind of intrigued to know what's the big deal, come and join us. There are tickets available at the AGC for $5 just to cover refreshments and we'd love to have you come and check out the new Alpha. Alpha like you've never seen it before. So we'd love to have you come to that. So let's pray and dive into our subject. Our God and Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, a day to just slow down, to worship you, to open up our hearts, to hear from you, and to uh, just be open to the Holy Spirit, to make us more like Jesus. Be with us again today as we kind of get into your word, and we just pray that it would uh, connect with each one of us in the way it needs to. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. So last time, uh, as we kind of... Uh, got into uh, the beginning of 1 John chapter 2, we talked about the fact that um, John talks about some challenges that we face. As we try to be fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus Christ in the world, uh, as we try to be the people God has called us to be, we get pushback in this world from two sources, right? Do you remember that? And one of those sources, of course, is the world. uh, This whole system uh, that leaves God out and on the margin and in your notes, I've just said the combination or the system of all of those things, which we've called idols, that draw us away from God. So that whole system um, uh, of the world that draws us away from God. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in this sort of tension between being citizens of heaven, but also being citizens of Canada, and so somewhere along the line, we have to work out these um, uh, citizenship responsibilities, knowing that our loyalty to the kingdom of God, uh, you know, kind of overrides our loyalty to any other thing. Uh, and so, our challenge, of course, is to always stay loyal to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a challenge. Uh, that we face. And John's quite upfront about it. He says it is a bit of an uphill climb sometimes in our world where uh, most of the people that you live and move and work with maybe don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and haven't been changed by his grace and as a result don't always understand or don't quite get you. Uh, And some of you, of course, know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been in that situation before. But it's not just kind of the world system in which we live, right? There are people who John calls them antichrists Little a. Um, I put big A there, but I'm talking little a. And that is anybody who denies Jesus Christ, the reality of him, and what he can do in a person's life. In your notes, I put down those who deny everything that makes a Christian who they truly are. Think about it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you take Jesus Christ out of it, you may be a churchgoer, but there's no Christian, Christian anymore. Christ needs to be remain at the center. And so those people who sort of deny the reality of Christ or the importance of what he did or its relevance, of course, they're really taking the heart out of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And so John calls them the Antichrist, those people who deny that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Now, I felt a little bit bad last week because I thought... Well, that's a bit of a downer, John. I'm kind of letting everybody go out for the whole week kind of thinking, boy, it's really, really tough out there. Um, but this week I get to pick up on three things that John says to his flock and to us across the centuries by way of encouragement. So, yes, he gives us some warnings. This is the world in which we live. But he also gives us some encouragement to help us stay true to our commitment to Jesus Christ in this world. And so, how do we press on in face of the challenges that our world serves up for us day in and day out? Well, number one, and here's what goes in the first blank, we have a new hope. A new hope. Uh, Somebody has said, you know, um, we can get along uh, a certain amount of time uh, in a deprived state. We may not have all the food we want. We may not have all the water we want. But we can keep going for a long time if we have hope. But he says the one thing that the human spirit can't sustain is the loss of hope. Once you lose hope, eventually you lose life. And that has been proved again and again in some of the great calamities around the world. As long as there's hope, you can keep pressing on and pushing the limits. But when you lose hope, you've lost everything. And so John wants to make sure that whatever is going on right now, friends... He calls them, you know, my little children. What is ever going on right now, friends, I want you to have perspective. I need you to take the long view. I need you to see what's happening now in view of the bigger picture of what God is doing in and around you. I don't want you to get fixated just in the situation in front of you. I want you to understand what's going on in context. And so he writes this at the beginning uh, of this next passage. He says, and now, little children, abide in him or stay connected to Jesus. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness have been born of him. Now, it's interesting that in the writings of John, this is the one place where he uses the word parousia in the Greek or Christ's second coming. The word we use to describe Christ's second coming when he comes again to establish his kingdom. This is what John has in mind. He's saying, basically, he says, folks, don't forget that what you're facing right now isn't the end of things. That's still coming. Jesus is coming again. Um, One of the reasons we have some of the tremendous uh, uh, spiritual uh, music from the African-American tradition is because in the middle of slavery and oppression, these people kept their eyes on the prize by creating hymns about Jesus and about when he comes again because it sustained their hope. It gave them hope that as difficult as their current circumstances were, this isn't the whole picture. And so many of those songs, that some of them are incredibly inspiring, are really um, spirituals that depict hope, that the challenge of the present moment is nothing compared with the hope that we have. And so John wants to remind his followers, that even though they're facing some turbulence, um, Jesus Christ is coming again. And um, if you stay connected to Jesus, you can have this confidence that when you see him, you will recognize him and he will recognize you. There is that um, passage in the Gospels where Jesus tells that parable of you know, the ten wise and the ten foolish virgins, do you remember that story? Uh, they're waiting for their bridegroom to come and five of the um, uh, bridesmaids bring extra oil just to make sure that they're ready with their lamps trimmed whenever the bridegroom can come. And uh, five of the, of, of the virgins who are a part of the marriage were a little bit careless. They didn't really come prepared for the long haul. And as a result, they ran out of oil before the bridegroom uh, arrives. And of course, there's that, um, there's that moment of reckoning uh, at the very end of the story, when they finally get somewhere and they show up, you know, too late to the party, and when they come, try to get in, um, basically the notion is, listen, uh, I don't know who you are, I never knew you. That's a bit of a sobering thought. And so, what John wants his followers to understand is, If you abide in Jesus Christ, when you show up at the door, he will look at you, call you by name, reach out, give you a hug, and draw you in to his fellowship forever. And that's kind of the concept that John has in mind. So John frames his warnings about the perils of the world in which we live with the confidence and unashamedness that should be the possession of every child of Christ when Jesus Christ comes again. Uh, The love of God has evidenced, and here's what goes in the blank, by obedience to his commands, right? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I've commanded? The love of Christ is evidenced by obedience to his commands, gives us confidence before him when he returns. It will allow us to look him in the eye, to look him in the face on that day that he comes back. And so that maintaining our relationship with him day by day, week by week, Um, it kind of prevents us from straying into um, uh, the doctrine of conduct that will cause us to be ashamed on that day when he comes. And um, in in a couple of moments, as we kind of keep unfolding what he says here, we'll see that we're not talking about one trip up, but we're talking about a settled way of life that would cause us to be embarrassed to see Jesus Christ when he comes. Um, We'll talk about why that is such a problem in just a couple of moments. So, John wants to give his readers and us across the centuries this critical perspective. We are going to face some pushback from the world in which we live. And there are people who don't get Christ, and because they don't get Jesus, they don't get us, um, that are going to sometimes cause some difficulties with us um, as we try to follow him with a whole heart. Um, But John wants us to realize that these day-by-day battles are not the whole war. The big battle has already been won by Jesus Christ on Calvary. Uh, He has already won the war, and so even when we run into these challenges, these are the last throes of a defeated foe. It's important to kind of keep that in mind. It helps us to keep our perspectives and our bearing. So we know this from the Scriptures. Jesus is coming back to establish his rule and to transform the whole of creation. And when that happens, the world as we know it is going to be passing away. Something new is going to take its place. This present world is an arena for God's goodness, and we want to celebrate that. There's really good things about this world we want to celebrate. When John says, you know, you should not love the world, he's not talking about God's creation. He's talking about the system of humanity that leaves God out. Uh, But we don't worship this world. We live now in the light of Christ's return. And the Bible has a really interesting way of describing that. It says, until that time comes, occupy until he comes. Okay, Be present in this world. Represent Jesus in this world. Let your light shine. Until Jesus Christ comes to take us home, be a presence wherever you are, in your community, in your home, wherever. Make sure that as you abide in Christ, you become his representative wherever you are. The reality is, think about this for a second, what a person believes about the future has everything to do about how we think and live today. Isn't it true? What you think about the future has everything to do about how we think and live today. So, are there any people who are in the insurance business? Here? Anybody in the insurance business? Okay. Okay, here's a shameless plug for the insurance, for the insurance business. How many people here carry insurance on their car, their house? Okay. Why do you have insurance? To have some security? Okay. Because what you are doing, you're thinking that right now everything is good, but I have no idea how things may happen down the road. When I get out to get my car on the road in the morning, I may feel fairly confident about my own skills, but I really don't know, you know, what the state of mind is, is everybody out there. And have you ever noticed that this is an incredible world in which we live, that we get out on the number one and we hurtle at each other at 100 kilometres an hour, and everybody sort of obeys the line? Like, it really is quite an amazing thing when you think about it. Okay, it's divided highway, but when it's together, you know what I mean? So the bottom line is, we don't know what the future holds, and because we're unclear, we do something in the here and now to cover our bases, right? We get insurance. And so, what we believe about the future, there could be the possibility that I may face a calamity, I want to be prepared, causes us to act differently in the present. Well, it's the same thing when we think about Jesus Christ coming again. This is what John wants us to understand. If you know Jesus Christ is coming and that there is going to be a day when we will see him face to face, then that should have some kind of an impact on the decisions that you make day by day. And that's what it means to live in the light of the expectation of Jesus Christ coming again. Um, uh, somebody once said, listen, um, Jesus is coming. Look busy. And, uh, and the notion is, you know, in view of the fact that Jesus Christ has come, try to be, you know, look like you're doing something. That's not really what the Bible teaches, by the way. <laughs> the Bible says, be connected. Not be busy, but be connected with Jesus. And so if we have this hope ahead of us, Jesus is coming, however difficult it may be at, at the moment, We know Jesus is coming. We wanna look him in the face on the day he returns. So that means that we wanna make every effort in the here and now to be righteous in the same way that he's righteous. To be holy in the same way that he is holy. This is what goes in the blank. Or to be pure as he is pure. Take any one of those three words. To be righteous as he is righteous, holy as he is holy. To be pure as he is pure. We wanna give ourselves to being the people that he has created us to be and empowered us to be by the Holy Spirit. We want to be wholly occupied in stepping up into this new self, our new self in Jesus Christ. We want to get ready as a bride preparing for the wedding day. There's that metaphor in the scripture that knowing that there's a wedding coming, we want to make sure on that day that we come. And of course, that whole concept of preparation absolutely under uh, undergirds so much of the prophets, so much of the teaching of the Old Testament, this notion of a wedding, being ready New Testament, the metaphor is carried over, being ready for that feast when Jesus is reunited with his bride, which is all of us. Okay. So, what are some ways that you can believe wrongly about Jesus and kind of get off-centered? Well, here are the ones that John has mentioned, you might want to add a few others, but I think these cover some of the big ones. Uh, there's the error of rejecting that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, this isn't God's promised or anointed one. Um, He just was another historical figure who happened to show up around the first century, uh, had a bit of an impact upon a few people, uh, but when he died, there was no consequences to that, you know, because he really wasn't anything other than just a great moral teacher. It denies that Jesus actually is the Messiah, the appointed one, the chosen one of God. And then another error is the error of rejecting Jesus' blood as atoning sacrifice. What do I mean there? It's basically saying, you know, um, I kind of believe God marks on a curve, and basically as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, you know, he'll have a hard time, you know, turning me away on that day uh, when heaven comes, if you believe in heaven. But bottom line, it means, you know, I really am not like a sinner, and so I really don't need any atoning sacrifice. And so basically, what Jesus did on the cross is irrelevant to me. It really isn't anything that I need. And so there's the error of rejecting that Jesus' blood is an atoning sacrifice, that it makes a difference. In fact, it makes the only difference for us. If you sort of figure it's just an optional extra, then you don't need it, and you can kind of carry on in your own happy way. Then there's the error of believing that the spirit leads away from the orthodox teaching about Jesus Christ to some other generic spirituality. That was one of the things that John and his crowd was facing, is that there were a number of people in his community before they left who basically said, the Holy Spirit has given us extra biblical teaching. The Holy Spirit has given us stuff that goes above and beyond what the apostles communicated, new truth that no one's ever heard before. And John is saying, don't buy it, don't buy that. Hold true to the gospel that you've been received, that is handed by Jesus to the apostles, and now me as the remaining apostle to you. Hang on to that truth. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit reveals, if it's the Holy Spirit, it's going to be synchronous with the gospel as Jesus preached and taught it and has been transmitted through the apostles. And then the final error is the error of rejecting Jesus as the Son of God, believing him just to be another ordinary person. And, of course, this is connected to this whole idea of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. Rejecting Jesus of the, as the Messiah was particularly a Jewish error, but rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God is an error for all the rest of us, um, that he really wasn't God in the flesh. Um, and uh, we'll leave it at that. So John then goes on to say that it's important that if, if we really have been touched and changed by Jesus, if we are abiding in him, then we should see righteous conduct increasingly has our normal way of living. Righteous conduct is not a condition for rebirth, but this is what goes in the blank. It's a consequence of it. And so John says a little bit earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, he says, whoever abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way that he walked. And so that's kind of our benchmark. Jesus becomes kind of our benchmark. So the very first thing that John says is, Listen, in this challenging world in which we live, let's keep in mind we've got something that nobody else has. We have this hope. We have this blessed hope. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's going to set this broken world uh, in order. He's gonna bring order to the chaos. He's gonna bring healing to the brokenness. He's going to establish his kingdom, and uh, you can take that to the bank. So, as you go about the everyday business, always realize, however difficult things are, that this isn't the last word today. Jesus has the last word, and so we can hold on to that hope, as all kinds of believers have over the centuries. But we don't just have a new hope, we also have a new identity. That's what goes in the blank. Uh, Verses 1 to 3. See what kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called, get this, the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know this, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Two incredible truths come out of these three verses that I want to highlight. Um, Number one, we are in the present God's children. That is an incredible statement that we are now a part of god's family um, we are sons and daughters of god himself and we are his children because his life now is resonant in us and um, we were on the outside looking in But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, God has brought us near. He's opened up access. We can now come near to him in faith, in prayer. We can now come and lay out our hearts before him. He is now our father. And keep in mind, as we move towards Father's Day, that human fathers are not the model for God. God the Father is the model for human fathers. Sometimes in our world, those things get confused. But right now, we are God's children. And as God's children, number one, We have a future, as we've already heard, we are heirs with Jesus Christ, but we also have his presence with us every day of every life. And as the old chorus says, he's as close as the mention of his name. And that's true because God's, the Father's ear is open to the cries and the prayers and even the complaints of his children. The new birth offered by God through faith in Christ is an expression of God's love. It's how much he loves us. And so that means that the Christ follower, and here's what goes in the blank, has a new principle of life coursing through their being. Okay? A new principle of life. This is important, and I'll explain that why in a moment. And eternal life is is now theirs. And so the Bible is so clear on this. Paul really tries to underline this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, if you're abiding in him, there's a whole new principle of life. You've had a transfusion of life, as it were. Uh, you were dead, but now you are alive in a way that is absolutely unique and remarkable and is in keeping with God had in mind to you, for you for the very beginning. It's really important to understand that this connection has as children makes us different people. We now have life in a way we never, ever had it before and it brings us to the second thing because the love of God is decisive what do I mean by that I simply mean this those who are filled with the life of Christ those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells don't march to the tune of this present world God's love sets them apart has different and I prefer to think of it means that we are better off Not better than, just to make sure that we don't get confused, okay? Um, We are no longer of the world. We're in the world, but we're no longer of the world, goes in that blank. Uh, We're not what we were, and we're not like everyone else who doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord. That's not a status symbol that doesn't make us better than everybody else. It simply means that we have entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ that is transforming us into the image of Jesus. So the world in which we live, this world that leaves God on the outside, simply doesn't have the ability to recognize the children of God for who they are. And so if you've ever sort of felt, gee, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't get no respect, John says that's perfectly understandable. (laughs) Because people really don't understand what this really means if they don't have Jesus Christ in their heart. They're in the dark. They don't know how to recognize or relate to God's children. They don't get what makes Christians tick. The world doesn't get God, and the world doesn't get those who are born of God. Which means that there is this tension that we just live with in this world. Um, To be opposed by the world without God, to be hated by the world, as the Bible sometimes describes it, isn't pleasant, but it does provide some reassurance that we are staying true to our loyalty to God's kingdom and our loyalty to Jesus as king. Um, The world's approval always is more comfortable, but it tends to be more perilous, that's what goes in the blank, perilous to faith. There is a built-in friction between those who know and serve Christ and those who do not. And though we respect all people and we try to speak a language that they understand to communicate the age-old truth in words that kind of make a difference and understandable in their language, and even though we try to uh, extend grace rather than mercy, the bottom line is there is some uh, lines that simply can't be crossed. And so there's always going to be a little bit of tension between uh, those who are loyal to Christ and those who are not. So um, we may not always look like God's children in the present, but that will all change when he returns, which leads me to the second point. Not only are we God's children, Now, in the future, we're going to share um, Christ's resurrected existence. We will be like him and see him as he is because we will be like him, like he is now. That has been a tremendous source of encouragement to me. I don't know. What about you as you've read this passage again and again over the years? We are works in progress. We are on the way to becoming like Christ where we spend a whole lifetime in the school of discipleship trying to become more and more like him but when jesus christ comes again when we are resurrected and share his glorious existence john is saying in that day there's a lot of confusion that's going to be cleared up we're going to see a whole lot more clearly then in fact we're going to see jesus more clearly than we ever have because we are going to see him as he is because we are just like him we're going to be like him we're going to be translated we're going to have glorified bodies No sin, no sickness, not going to grow old, not going to die, not have to deal with the whole sin issue. So again, that's kind of looking ahead and realizing that, again, this life isn't all there is. There is a life to come, and it's going to be a much better life. It's already started now, but its fruition is going to be seen when Jesus Christ comes again. But the key thing here is that's the ultimate picture, that when we see him, we will be like him but the application point is this. Those who are born of the Father bear, and here's what goes in the blank, the family likeness right now. Okay? And that likeness is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. So we know that one day when we see him, we'll see him exactly as he is because we will be just like him, but we're already in the process of becoming like him, even in this life, as the Holy Spirit helps us. And so increasingly, those born of the Father bear the family resemblance. And of course, The big thing about God that John wants to emphasize is God's love. That's going to be something that he'll come back to again and again. Um, So if we have our hope in Jesus and we look forward to being like him, then we also want to be committed to keeping ourselves from sin, which moves into the third thing he says. Not only do we have a new hope, not only do we have a new identity, but we have a new freedom. And sometimes in the challenge of living for Christ in this world with all of its challenges, we sometimes don't feel as free as we actually are in Jesus Christ. So let me read this passage. It's a little bit longer, but you can kind of track his argument more readily if you read the whole thing. So in verse 4, this is what John writes. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. Just a state of fact. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay, that's the second plank in his argument. So, here's the application. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Christ or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him. And uh, he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice his righteousness is not of God. And whoever does not love his brother. Well, John wades into it here, doesn't he? Kind of (laughs) nose-to-nose, kind of uh, cold water, a little bit of a splash of reality. But he really wants his audience to understand that because of what Jesus Christ has done, sin is no longer your master. So don't give way. Uh, We talked about this last week uh, in our Good and Beautiful God class. Uh, Many times, you know, when someone says, well, who are you, in humility, we say that, well, we are just sinners saved by grace. And I would suggest that, no, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord, that's not what you are, that's what you were. You were a sinner saved by grace. You are now a saint sustained by grace. Okay, You were a sinner saved by grace, but now you are a saint saved by grace. Why is that important? If you're just a sinner saved by grace and you trip up, What's the very first connection you make? I'm a sinner, so I sin. So it's just like, you know, I'm just being human. You know, the reason why I've got this sin problem is because, well, I'm a sinner. You know, so what do sinners do? Well, sinners sin. And so there is a subtle kind of connection that allows us to sort of kind of give way or to give up in the battle against sin because what can I expect? I'm just a sinner. I've been saved by grace, Thank like heavens, I have a home in heaven, but that's not really helping me right now. Uh, saints, that's exactly right. Th- good class, like A's already. I'm handing out A's already, because you're way ahead of me. Okay, good, good. So what, what John is trying to say is, I want you to understand yourself as followers of Jesus, as you really are now. You are saints who are sustained by grace. You've been saved from sin. That doesn't mean that you don't sin from time to time, but John has already said that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us from our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is it that John is trying to get at right here? Well, John is crystal clear at this point. And here's what goes in the blank. A life of habitual sin is not compatible with a life of fellowship with Jesus. It's one thing to make a mistake, to sin, to recognize it for what it is, to own it, to bring it to God, to confess it, and to be cleansed of it. It's another thing to kind of just keep running the red lights continually as a way of life. That's a whole different idea. Instead, it evidences the presence of the devil, not the presence presence of God in one's life when you live a life of habitual, um, uh, unchallenged sin. And so, you know, John is really quite, um, uh, you know, he really puts the contrast, as he normally does, very clearly here. He says, at the very center of anyone's life, there are two different motivations. Or, if you want to put it this way, he said, people have two paternities, <laughs> right? They are either they are children of God, or they're children of of the devil, and the family resemblance that flows out of that orientation at the core of your being will evidence itself by the choices you make and the way you live. And what he's trying to make the point is here. If you're truly born of God, then sin has never become a comfortable thing for you. You never ever live comfortably with it. You realize God has called you to be better. You keep bringing your sin to him the only one who can make any difference. Jesus has already accomplished that in the cross of Calvary. And so on the basis of that, we just keep living a life of confession and repentance as people who are loyal to Jesus and walking in his footsteps. A Christian may sin, but if they are truly of God, they won't live with it. They will always be trying to become what they are in Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared, this is John's argument, Jesus appeared to take away sins and to break its, and this goes in the blank, stranglehold, on people's lives. That's the whole reason Jesus came. So to kind of persist in sin or to be neglectful is almost kind of to deny what it was that Jesus Christ came to do to you in the first place. And so John is saying, take a hold of this. Jesus has already done this for you. Um, No one who is connected and who abides in Jesus will persist in sin. Doesn't mean they won't make a mistake. Doesn't mean they won't make an an error of judgment. Doesn't mean they'll go sideways. From time to time but they don't persist in sin as a way of life and when you persist that's what goes in the blank it kind of indicates that somehow or another um, you're not really connected uh, to this life that is ours in Jesus Christ so as believers we do everything we can to avoid sin in this world although sometimes we fail but these failures must take place within here's what goes in the blank a settled habit of a life in which sin is no longer setting the tone Okay, Um, and so it's a matter of day by day owning who we are in Christ, recognizing Jesus Christ came to break the power of sin in my life and making decisions in keeping with that new reality and persisting in it and realizing, you know, if I made a mistake once, then my task is not to do it twice. If I do it twice, it's not, not to do it a third time. It's not to let it become a settled habit that I sort of just become comfortable with and live with. So at the end of the day, John is saying, it's not what one says, but how one lives is what goes in the blank that distinguishes those who are truly born of God from those who are not. And so John is continuing to build this case. How do you know that you know that you know? How do you know that you really belong to Jesus and that life is doing its work in you. He says, well, it still comes down to these three things. He keeps going at this again and again through the letter. How one lives expresses whether or not one is born of God or whether the devil still rules. Those born of God cannot sin in the specific way that unbelievers do, but they must live rightly as God defines it. And love for others is the hallmark of that righteous life. And and John just so nails this. Um, people who do not love, because God is love, he's going to say this a little bit later on, people who don't love God are not bearing the family resemblance. When you bear the family resemblance as God's children, the same kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross is the same kind of love that impels you to show grace and mercy to other people. And so that's why Jesus says, by this the whole world are going to know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It's one of those litmus tests of the validity of our faith. And so John is continuing to help us get a handle on what does it mean to know for sure that we are tracking with Jesus, walking in his footsteps. He gives us some ways of a benchmark to kind of compare ourselves against. Not only to help us live uh, faithful before the Lord, but also to understand the spirit of truth and error as we run into it in the world in which we live. Let's pray.